0: So we are, this week we're doing Proverbs, uh, and we finished Proverbs chapter 2 last week, so we will start with Proverbs chapter 3. Last week I did most of the introductory stuff on Proverbs, uh, which I quite frankly don't intend to repeat. Um, One of the things I don't know whether I did say is, of course, there are 31 Chapters in Proverbs, and of course the idea then is you can read one chapter a day, cyclically, uh, and continuously. So again, it's it's designed for teaching the young, uh, which is which is why with you all I am not going through it in the detail I would go through it with the young, uh, being as how you all are well. Well, but you you know, you guys have got a lot of this stuff is uh, that wouldn't be obvious to a 15, 16, 17 year old boy is kind of obvious to you guys. So uh, anyway, chapter three. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So again, the idea of, of proverbs and um, one of the things that people do with Proverbs is they treat it as scripture, um, as in, Thus says the Lord. So, you know, God, for example, in the Torah, God says X, Y, or Z, and that's the words of God. You get to Deuteronomy, and it's the words of Moses. In, in fact, if you read Deuteronomy, it isn't God says, it's Moses says. And in the same way, Proverbs here is not God says. This is wisdom based on the experience of someone who is a believer in God and understands the Torah. So it's not precisely God said to do this. It is I, King Solomon, who am a godly person, in my wisdom have learned these things and I'm passing that wisdom on to you. But failing to do some of that doesn't fall into the category of disobedience to God. It falls into the category of stupidity. that sort of made sense? But you know, For example, when God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. that If you commit adultery, you're going against the word of God, and, and so you are in sin. Here we're going to get the same message when we get to uh, chapter 5 but it's couched in terms of it's really stupid to commit adultery. Again, did I say it so it made sense? Okay. Yes. Yeah, good way to say it. Yeah, to repeat that, following Torah is what I would call enlightened self-interest. If you follow Torah, your life will be better. And... So it's self-interest to do so. And this book of Proverbs falls into that same category. But as I say, it is not, thus saith the Lord, although much of this stuff is expansion and elucidation on things God says other places. But this is is human wisdom. Um, Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will never, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Right, steadfast love and faithfulness. Do not let them forsake you. Um, what that is saying is, you exercise steadfast love and faithfulness, and don't stop doing it. In other words, it's being said in the third person, as in, don't let them forsake you. But what it's really saying is those are character traits that you need to cultivate and you need to hold them uh, hold them close to you, binding, binding them around your neck as a necklace, writing them on the tablets of your heart. So again, this is not something external. This is something that is your behavior that uh, Solomon is telling you to do. Verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Okay. Uh, one of the things that young men and probably young women have is you know, there, there's an old folk uh, tradition in, in the United States that uh, when I was 18, I knew everything. I knew more than my father. And by the time I was 24, I was amazed at how much he learned. Uh, yeah. 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 So the idea is that a young man knows everything, and it just goes with the territory. And what? proverbs are saying here is uh, no you don't bucko uh, you, if you lean on your own understanding and if you conduct your life as if you know everything you are going to come uh, to a bad end and the uh, antidote for that is acknowledging God in other words again we all tend to say, oh, I know what to do here. And, and what the proverb is saying is, uh, before you do what you think is right, you need to go back and see what God's word says about the situation and accept his judgment on this as opposed to your own. Um, and in that, if you acknowledge God, he will then make your path straight. And one of the things that's going to happen uh, over and over again in this next couple of chapters is the idea of a straight path. In other words, not wandering, not letting your eyes stray, left or right, right, uh, etc. That's going to be a metaphor that's going to be happening as we, as we go along. And then again, do not be wise in your own eyes. Uh, one of the things that's we're going to get to in just a minute um, is wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and uh not what the other one was. But there's several terms that are used here, and as my favorite saying is, you can tell they're different because they're spelled differently. Uh, they're not the same concept. And as people go through life, you tend to conflate these things, and, and that's not always wise. So the first thing is, trust the Lord, law your heart, and do not lead on your own understanding. And then verse seven: Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So you've got understanding and wisdom in those two passages, and obviously they are not the same. They are not written the same. They're not the same words. And what we're going to find? Um, Where is that? I see. Yeah, we're going to let, let's hold that discussion until we get down to verse nineteen. Uh, because we're going to get all of the terms uh, in one uh, marshal there, and that's probably a better place to to deal with them. And again, the idea that leading an upright life is healing and refreshment to your body. In other words, uh, elsewhere in Proverbs it will say, for example, that a merry heart uh, does good like a medicine. So the idea here is that your behavior and your attitude affect your physical health. And that, again, is something that will go through uh, Proverbs. And, and I absolutely agree with that. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with oil. Now what did I say? Thank you. Uh, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting, burst, bursting with wine. I really wanted that to be oil. Um, again, notice that we've got a progression going here. Uh, one of the things that I said last time is that these mashalim, uh, which are generally two-line couplets, are designed to be memorized. First off, and then they're designed to be discussed and thought about. So you'll know, you use two different, you know, wisdom and understanding, and you know those kinds of things, and all that is by way of encouraging discussion and teasing the wisdom out of each of the couplet. The other thing that's happening here, and it will happen um, more directly, I think, in either seven or eleven. I don't, uh, Proverbs seven or eleven. I don't remember off the top of my head which is what he'll do is he'll take these mashalim and he'll stack them and build a concept on the same general subject. And, and each one will carry you forward in the same subject while each one of the couplets is still useful for pondering. Does that sort of make sense? So you have each of the couple stands alone and is useful for memorization and uh, teasing the wisdom out of But then, what he'll do here, as he's doing here, is he'll stack them one after the other. So, what you get is a progression on the same general subject. And what he does is can can cover a great deal of territory that way. It's sort of like uh, in the prose parts of scripture where you have chiasms. I know you all know chiasms. Uh, And what happens there is we have the a concept and then several verses later another concept and then you come in you have a concept and that same concept inside of the previous concept and it acts like a chevron or uh, an arrow if you will when you diagram it out and the structure there gives you more information than the words themselves convey alone. In other words, you read the words, and the words all make sense, and they're great, and there are lots of things to learn about them. But then you find the chiasm, and you start seeing the nested concepts that lead to something in the middle, and you discover that the thing in the middle is the intensification or culmination of the things that nest it. So the structure there gives you information that the words themselves do not convey by themselves. And what's happening here with this progression that we're seeing in Proverbs 3 is you're getting a progression on how a young man should, what a young man should turn to and trust for his guidance. And the first thing it says is, "It ain't you." Next thing it says is God, and then it will will go down and your behavior. you You want to write it on your heart and then don't lean on your understanding you get uh, God will make your path straight and then fear the lord okay and turn away from evil it is be healing to you so you have uh, good success in verse 4 you have healing and refreshment in verse 8 so you have this progression of things that will happen to you if you take the advice of your father yeah, full barns and bats. so you have if you will a progression of thing, good things that will happen to you and the, the progression is presented in these little nuggets each nugget is itself worthy of study but the progression of the nuggets gives you an additional level of information does that so make sense um, verse, no, uh, I did not so honoring the Lord with your wealth, so we've started off in not leaning on your own understanding, and now we're saying as you get wealth, one of the things that's going to be tempting to you is you're going to want to take that wealth and put it in a bank or invest it or something to increase your wealth and, woo look at all my stuff. And what the proverb is saying is uh, you'll do better sharing it with the Lord than you will investing it all by yourself an old preacher's uh, saying, which I've always liked ever since the first time I heard it, which is that you'll do better on 90% with God as your partner than you will on 100% by yourself. Uh, And I've always liked that, and of course it's true, and that's what the proverb is saying here, that if you honor God with your wealth, things will go well for you, and your wealth will then accumulate at a greater rate than it would if you simply took all of your money and uh, invested it on your own. So verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. And again, this is going to be a recurrent theme throughout the book. And... One of the things that's going to be seen throughout the book is the difference in reaction when you reprove a fool as compared to when you reprove a wise man. So when a wise man gets reproved, he takes it to heart, he learns from it, he he grows wiser in the process. When a fool is reproved, he gets angry and and fights with you and, and so forth. And so this is sort of the beginning of that theme that's going to carry throughout the rest of the book, uh, the idea that you know beating a fool doesn't do any good uh, because he never learns, and on and on and on. But the idea here is, when God sees fit to reprove you, you need to take that as a blessing, as opposed to getting resentful and going off and sulking because you've been pulled up short. Verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. Okay, so now we have wisdom and understanding again, remember? We talked about wisdom and understanding back there, and I deferred that conversation, and I'm going to defer it again, but understand that it's a recurring theme here, and we'll get to it when we talk, to God, we'll talk about God in a minute. So verse 14, <clears throat> let's pick it up 13 again. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. <clears throat> Excuse me, i got a frog in my throat. Which is not kosher. For the grain, <coughs> for the grain from her is better. Try again. Take a sip of. It. Ah. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gains a under- <coughs> like a violin that the s- string is buzzing too much, <coughs> and there's nothing in there. It's just buzzing. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. Thank you. For the one, <clears throat> for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profits better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her hand, in her right hand, and in her left are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called Right. What I will suggest to you is this is an intensification of what has come before. He's talked about what you do with your wealth. He's talked about wisdom and understanding. He's talked about the gain that you get from sharing your produce with your substance with the Lord. So this encapsulates that whole thing in one... uh, Paragraph, 19, is wisdom. Is wisdom. Yeah, I'm sorry, did I? Wisdom is personified in Proverbs as feminine. And that's, again, a consistent uh, pattern, if you will, throughout at least the early parts of Proverbs. Uh, He drops that uh, metaphor later on but early on wisdom is portrayed as feminine um, all right so the lord in verse 19 so the Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens by his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down dew all right so you've got wisdom you've got understanding and you've got knowledge all in the same little chunk, which is why I waited until now to talk about that. <clears throat> so let's take them in reverse order. Knowledge, if, if you will, is sort of the lowest level. You know a fact. I know that my wife is a woman. I know that my wife has a computer. I know that, it's, you know, they're just facts, knowledge. So those are the easiest to attain and they are the most abundant. In other words, you know lots and lots and lots of facts. Uh, We all do. Uh, The next thing up from knowledge is understanding. And with understanding, what you do is you take knowledge and you can put it together and make it somehow useful. So, for example, I used to teach engineering mechanics in college. And I could give my students all sorts of facts, but I could always tell when the light went on and they started to get understanding and they could array those facts together in a new way and solve a problem somehow. Okay. Yeah. So for example, it is a fact that at any given point in a static structure all the forces must balance you know pushing left right up and down it all must balance and the force net force must be zero otherwise it the thing moves okay the net force is not zero it's moving if it's not moving you know the net force is zero okay it's just the way it is even you can push hard and you can push hard and you can push hard but if it doesn't move the net force is zero that's a fact. But, if I then give them, for example, a bridge and put some loads on it, and they can then take that information and figure out from there what the stresses are in the various members of the bridge, now they have understanding. They have taken that fact that all the forces must sum to zero in a static structure, and they've been able to extrapolate from that, and they've been able to solve problems using those facts. So that's understanding. Wisdom then becomes is it a good idea to build a bridge here right okay. In other words, I'm serious. What's that? yeah wisdom then becomes I've got knowledge, I've got understanding what's the appropriate application in at this time and place of the wisdom and or, I'm sorry the understanding and the knowledge that I possess. So the fact that you know how to build a bridge doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea to do so right there. Am I saying that so it makes sense? So you have God, in this case, by wisdom founded the earth. So God, in his wisdom, decided that this earth was a good idea. Something he wanted, something he wanted to have happen. That's wisdom. Once he decided that he wanted an earth, by understanding, he was then able to create the universe in which this earth is a part. Again, going back to my analogy, wisdom is it's a good idea to build an earth here. Knowledge is, okay. I think the understanding then is, all right, in order for that earth to exist, we've got to have this many stars, we've got to have that much hydrogen, we've got to have all these things. That's all Understand. Once the wisdom is kicked in and you've made a decision to build the earth. And then knowledge. Oh, we want it to rain. That's again sort of the lowest level. Again, am I saying? It? Yeah. Won't rain here, and that, that's an understanding that that's the lowest level, if you will. Of the thought process that, according to this, God went through in order to make this world. You see, all that sort of makes sense? Okay. I am. You want me to go on? You want me to stop? You want me to quit? You want me to go home and shave? Okay. Okay. All right, thing one. Thing one. This is done in the this we're back in verse eleven. My son do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. So thing one is you have got to be in relationship with God. So if you're not in relationship with God, stuff that happens to you is not necessarily going to be his review. It is just going to be the natural consequence of your own stupidity. That's sort of thing one. So... We start off from the position that you are in a relationship with God. And at that point, to use some rabbi's analogy, I don't remember who it was. then it years ago, I don't remember which rabbi. The universe is an exquisitely designed machine designed to communicate with us. So God designed this entire exquisite universe for the purpose of communicating with us. So everything that happens to you in that model is God saying something to you, and the question then becomes: Are you paying attention? In other words, are you looking at all of the things that happen to you as you go through life as potential messages directly to you from God? Now, you know some things you have a beautiful, bright day, sunshiny day, everybody gets to enjoy it. In other words, it's unlikely that he made it just for you. Certainly there... Yeah. The law in its infinite majesty prevents both rich and poor from sleeping under bridges. Uh, So, some of it is just general good or bad fortune. You know, if if you happen to be in a tsunami that the whole village gets wiped out, it is unlikely that God is upset with you under those circumstances. You just happen to be there. But having said that, God will arrange circumstances in your life to communicate with you. And you should always go through your life looking at your circumstances with the question in your mind, God, are you saying something to me here? And that's the best I can give you because it's very rare that you get a booming voice coming from the overhead saying, Suzanne, stop that. <laughs> but having said that, that's the best answer I can give you. you know, God is able, as we discovered um uh, down in verse 20, by his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. He is perfectly capable of arranging circumstances in your life to give you a message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand that. To give you a, some rabbi in, before 19th century the rabbi that you know that era in eastern europe had a question and he had some money to give away and his son was struggling so he said god can i give this charity to my son and he didn't get an answer so he said okay i'll do it and he gave his charity to his son and he said immediately the sales of my book stopped dried up and he said from that i took that the answer to my question was no you cannot give the thing that you should be giving to charity you cannot give to your son you can help your son support your son but you cannot count that as part of your charity Again, and and that's where I got this saying, if you will, that the universe is an exquisitely tuned machine designed to communicate with us if we'll pay attention. maybe? My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be the life, be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Notice we have this idea of good manners, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding being something that makes you attractive to people around you. You've got things hung around your neck, you've got adornments, all those kinds of things. So this idea that behavior, good behavior, exemplary behavior, will be to you an ornament. Now again, we have keep sound, wisdom, and discretion. Again, two different words, spelled differently, mean two different things. We talked about wisdom, what's discretion? Knowing when to shut up and when to talk is a good way to describe it. So discretion as opposed to wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to say or what not to say. Discretion is knowing whether or not to say it. Tact is a synonym for discretion. Really? Yeah, mine has wisdom and discretion. So sound judgment and discernment. Again, those are two different things. Judgment, if you will, would be a fruit of wisdom. Words, if you are wise, you will have sound judgment. And discretion and what was it? Discernment is again a variation on discretion, where. You can discern whether or not to do something. Deciding between two things is discernment. Discretion is very similar. Mm-hmm. They're very similar, but not quite the same. So anyway, let's, since in mine, it's all one sentence. Let me back up to 21. 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. We've already talked about that. 23 then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble so again we're talking we're back to this idea of a walk if you will and the idea that you will walk soundly and securely 44 if you lie down you will not be afraid when you lie down your sleep will be sweet and again what he's talking about there obviously is people who do stray Spend a lot of time worrying. And because they know at some level that either God, somebody else, or the universe in general is going to catch up with them. Uh, one of the things I think I've said, I haven't said in a while, but it's worth saying it again, is God's universe bends toward justice. Uh, the way I would describe it is God's iron law of sowing and reaping. And that's what you sow, you will eventually reap. Now, you reap later than you sow, so there's a time delay, but you reap what you sow. So, for example, if you go out and you plant wheat, it's really stupid to come back and say, how come we don't have any corn? Well, I planted wheat, so why would I be looking for corn? And it's the same thing with behavior. If you plant bad behavior, you will reap the Fruits of your bad behavior, but there will be a time delay, and the time delay gives you an opportunity to work. Uh, sort of like the young man that went out on a Friday night, and so does Wild Oats, and went to church on Sunday praying for crop failure. Um, sorry, crop failure. But anyway, the, the whole point here is there is a delay between behavior and the harvest. And if what you have planted is good seed, you can sleep soundly expecting a good harvest. If what you have planted is bad seed, you don't sleep soundly because you're worried about the harvest that you know is coming. Does that sort of make sense? Well, um... Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Okay. Say that again. It does. Though a thousand fall around you, near you it will not come. Uh, The idea there is when... A calamity strikes someone near you, your instinct is, oh shoot, am I going to get the next one? And what it's saying here is, don't worry about it, because God will, if you have given your ways to God, God will watch over you, and the fact that the person next to you has just had something terrible happen to him, doesn't mean that you have to fear the same thing happening. Okay. And again, lest somebody do some, you know, talk about something like the Holocaust or any of those kinds of things, these are what I would describe as um, the race is not always to the swift nor the contest to the strong, but that's the way to bet. Okay? In other words, most of the time, this is going to be true, but there will be circumstances when it isn't true. This is not. Uh, this is not an algorithm. It is a general wisdom, and there will be times when it doesn't work. But what the father here is doing here is telling his son, if you do it the way I am telling you to do it, your life will be far more likely good that will be bad. And you can be pray. You can pray all you want to be sustained, but if you don't plant, plant a crop, you'll starve. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I just said a lot of stuff. What? You pray for the Lord to sustain you, and you, you 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 have confidence that He will. But if you don't have you don't plant a crop, you'll starve. It will just well, thank you. <coughs> Twenty-seven. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So the idea here, and we're getting into neighbor relationship, the idea here is you have an affirmative duty to do good to your neighbor to the extent that you have it in your hand. In other words, uh, there's no requirement for uh, example. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say that two of you have farms next door to each other and you've decided to sell your farm or your neighbor has decided to sell his farm one of you decided to sell let's say you've decided to sell you have a duty to your neighbor to go to your neighbor and offer him first right of refusal to buy your farm you do not have to discount the price okay but you do have an obligation to go to him first and say, I am going to sell my farm. If you own two farms as one parcel, you will have something that is more valuable than each of them separately. Now, this is the price of the market for my farm. I'm going to give you the first opportunity to buy it, and in that way I'm going to give, do an opportunity have an opportunity here to do you great good without doing myself any harm. That's so what made sense. Okay. So the idea is you should always be looking out for opportunities to do good to your neighbor. Which is not to say which is not to say that you have to sell him your farm at a discount uh, or any of that kind of stuff. But you do have to give him opportunities to better himself under the, under circumstances like that. Okay. And by the way, this is Torah. Torah does this, Torah says the same kinds of things. Um, the other thing that's going on here, in verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I'll we'll give it when you have it with you. There's a, a musar concept called and I uh, Zerazut, I believe is the Hebrew. Alien help. Zerazut, is that celerity? Yeah. Quickness. Zerazut. <laughs> You're my Hebrew expert. Um, anyway, it, it's a Musar concept. And I and I and I may be mispronouncing the Hebrew. Uh, but what it means is Celerity or quickness. Which is, celerity? Alacrity. Celerity, alacrity. They're, they are synonyms. Celerity or alacrity, quickness, um, they're all synonyms. Okay? They're all spelled differently, so they mean slightly different things, but they're all synonyms. And the idea here is, when you have the opportunity to do a mitzvah, do not delay. Do it instantly. Do it as quickly as you can. And in the rabbinic literature, it's that an aged mitzvah, mit, an aged mitzvah, spoils. Okay, so the idea is when you have an opportunity to do good, do it on the spot. And don't walk off and think about it and ponder and finally decide to do something good later on. Do it as soon as you realize that you can. Okay? We okay? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm having the grammarians over here. they have tied them in knots. Sorry. Do you want me to go through the, uh... I can give you Yeshua's answer, and that's, (laughs) no, no, you're his wife, there's a difference. Wife and neighbor are spelled differently, you can tell they're different. Uh, Yeshua's answer to that, uh, when the lawyer uh, comes up to him and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Yeshua says, Love God, love your neighbor. And the lawyer says, I'm doing that, but who's my neighbor? And Yeshua then launches into the parable of the good Samaritan. And what the parable the the, the net of the Good Samaritan is that the man who has been beaten, robbed, and stripped and I will say is also laying face down on the road so you can't even tell if he's circumcised he's unconscious which means you can't recognize his accent he's naked which means that you can't look at his clothes and see where he comes from he's laying face down in my version which means you can't even look at him until if he's circumcised so what Yeshua has done is set up a generic human being and. The Samaritan goes to him and ministers to him under those circumstances. So that's Yeshua's answer. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you have got a brand new Ferrari and you're parked in your garage and your 14-year-old neighbor says, can I borrow your car? <laughs> I'm going to suggest maybe the wisdom there is you don't lend it to it. <laughs> this, this, is, this is all by way of wisdom. This is not, don't, you know, this is, don't do nothing stupid. Um, and again, the idea, going back to our sale of the farm, you're under no obligation to sell your farm at all. And furthermore, you're under no obligation to sell it at a discount. But what you are under obligation to do is, if you can help your neighbor, to do so. Let's go true sure. As I say, this is all wisdom. And uh, you're not required to do nothing stupid. Uh, Where am I here? 29. Do not plant evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. So, and again, this is going to be a stacked set of uh, proverbs. The idea here is someone who trusts you is very easy to damage because he's not on guard. So if someone is dwelling with you trustingly, for you to plot evil against him is doubly bad because he's not defending himself. He thinks that you're his neighbor. Now, once he finds out that he can't trust you, then the relationship changes. <coughs> do not contend, verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Which is to say, my one of my father's favorite sayings to me as a young boy is, um, a closed mouth gathers no fist. was. So the idea here is don't go out and pick fights. Uh, Again, that's just wisdom. 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. That's going to take some unpacking. This is sort of the culmination of what we've just said. Starts off with do good to your neighbor. Then don't do evil against your neighbor who is dwelling trustingly with you. Then it goes, don't contend with a man. Finally, it comes to don't envy a man of violence. Now, one of the things that is envious, especially to young people, is uh, a violent man. You know, a guy that swaggers around, doesn't take any nonsense from anybody and you know, knocks the bad guys, quote unquote, out of the way. That kind of thing is is very popular in uh, popular uh, culture right now. It always has been, quite frankly. Otherwise, it wouldn't be necessary to tell a young man not to do it. Okay? If if it wasn't popular. And so, down in 28, 32. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. So the devious person is someone who plans evil against his neighbor who trusts him. The devious person is, that's the start. Then that such a person will contend with people who have done him no violence. And then finally he will envy those who he sees as being successfully violent. So now, 32 again, for the devious, everybody knows what devious means, right? We had trouble with celerity, don't want to have trouble with devious. Okay? Froward is devious. Yeah, froward is, yeah, froward is, 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 word, word. Forward's a great word. I like froward. Uh, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. So what you have is God is against the devious person, but the one who right walks uprightly is in the confidence of the Lord, which is to say he will learn things from the Lord that people would not be able to understand in the normal way. I guess that's what makes sense. So being in God's confidence is a really good thing because good stuff will happen to you in all sorts of areas of your life simply by being in the confidence of the Lord. And this goes back to the universe communicating with you. Uh, it will communicate to, with you both for good and for ill. And being in the Lord's confidence, as you're watching as you go on your way and saying, is God saying something to me here? You will get good messages as well as bad ones. When he needs to rebuke it. So the idea here is the culmination of this, how you live with your neighbor, is if you do it right, you will be in the Lord's confidence. Okay? Um, and that doesn't mean that the Lord will be confident in you. Right? Just doing grammar here, folks. No, there's a difference between God being confident in you and you being in God's confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you said. Okay, um, 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So this is an extension now of verse 32. The, the devious person is an abomination. The upright is in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scorned. But to the humble, he gives favor. Now, so we can then take from that that this is all led up to somebody who plans evil against his neighbor and so forth is also a scorner, one who scorns the ways of God. Okay. And, and, and a scoffer and a scorner are going to again also be woven throughout the rest of the book. And notice it says, toward the scorners he is scornful. Again, God's iron law of sowing and reaping. If somebody behaves in a scornful manner, he will receive scorn from from the Lord. But to the humble, he gives favor. Which says to me that scorners and the humble are opposite concepts. So what does that tell you the basis of scorn is? Pride. Pride. Okay. So the animating factor of someone who is a scorner is pride. And remember we started off this with, with do not lean on your own understanding. So the idea, clear back at the beginning is, young men especially are cocksure and confident in their own judgment and that is a function of pride. And what God is saying, or what the proverb is saying here is don't do that and then we finish up the chapter with someone who is scornful is the opposite of someone who is humble. So the whole thing talks about pride. The wise will inherit honor but fools, but They're There ends the chapter, and I'm not going to start on. Cha- I didn't think I was going to. I was going to do two chapters tonight. Sorry about that. Anybody got any pearls of wisdom for the, for all of us? anybody got any more wisdom than you started with? Solarity, C-E-L, C-E-L-E-R-I-T-Y, <laughs> no, celerity, E-R-I-T-Y, now yeah, you yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Celeritus is the Latin word. What's that? Well, I can get it. I didn't want to interrupt him. Yeah. It, uh, actually, let me look that up, just just since i uh, it, 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 I'm almost sure it's, it's pronounced zara But it's been so long since I've looked at it that I, I am not confident about that. Yeah, enthusiasm is another word for it. Um. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes uh, it, it's enthusiasm in English, it's, uh, I think, zarzut in Hebrew, uh, celerity in Latin. Would somebody like to close in prayer? <laughs> I get in trouble